This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmoud from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz from Montclair, New Jersey. And this is Jeff Uphughes from Atlanta, Georgia. Jeff, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Let's start to get to know you a little bit. Could you, at a very high level, share what you currently do and how did you get into this space? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I lead a company called DC Blocks. And DC Blocks, we design, develop, operate, and own a fabric of tier three rated data centers in underserved growing markets around the Southeast United States. We interconnect them together with dark fiber, creating connectivity exchanges in each market that we believe is underserved and and really having that network connectivity to make them feel like they're in a larger city. And then we do so with a really dedicated purpose of how we interact in the cities and the markets we, we, we go into. And it's all about serving locally and connecting globally on behalf of those communities. So what would be some of those smaller markets that you refer to? Could you, could you share? You bet. So we're, we're in the heart of South, heart of the South down here. So, you know, one of the things that's, we're really benefiting from the growth of a lot of the markets of being here. Not only do we have great weather, great food, you know, great, great climate for business, great tax incentives, but we also have cities that are really thriving like Greenville, South Carolina, and Greenville and Spartanburg, just a remarkable city. If you've never been to it, you know, Forbes and a lot of the other, you know, publications and other things that said, Hey, this is one of the best unkept secrets in the, our best kept secrets in the, in, in the markets of the South. Birmingham, Alabama, another market that a lot of people knew it as an old steel town is, is now thriving and growing. And it's a city of, in, in area around 1.2 million. I think of Huntsville, Alabama and Huntsville, Alabama is a market that uh, is really a mini Northern Virginia with all the influence of space. Uh, it's where NASA is. It's where missile defense is. It's where you know, a huge amount of government deployments are coming in and out, which are really uh, thriving in the markets. And we've got a number of markets that uh, are about to be announced that will have more and more of those of really where we're bringing our services to. There are a few people that I've ever heard on the podcast where I'm immediately the first, like the first word that comes out of your mouth. I'm like, this guy is going to run for national politics one day. There's just no question. And, and we are in, we're in the presence of greatness. This is Jeff's, Jeff's, Jeff's going to be somebody important. Well, well, I, I, what you have to realize about doing business in the South is if you ever sit in a meeting for, for an hour with anybody, you better understand how to talk. If you're in Alabama, you better be talking Alabama or Auburn football, the weather and everything else around it. In the last 10 minutes of your hour meeting, you get down to business because people want to know you first. And then they'll say, well, bless your heart. That's a really interesting journey. I it's bless your heart. Bless your heart. You're like, get out of it. No, it's all good. It's all good. So with the recent, you know, exodus from the major metropolitan cities, especially with COVID, how has that impacted your business? Great question. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather be lucky than good in times. And, you know, we're a little lucky that some of these growth in the markets have been been so phenomenal. For You know, when, when we look at markets, we really try to pick markets that are, you know, a million people or more in the greater metropolitan service area. We're seeing huge growth within markets like, like I mentioned, Greenville and Spartanburg. You kind of put them together. They're two independent cities, but there's 1.4 million people there. They're projecting to be 2 million people in that market over the course of the next 10 years. 
So when you have growth coming into markets like that, or like Birmingham in a similar way, or Huntsville, or even Atlanta, you know, that growth is really eyeballs that are accessing applications that are all around cloud computing, all around mobile devices, all around, you know, how do you integrate from your television screen to your mobile screen to your lab? And how do you integrate uh, cloud apps as well as infrastructure? So it's it's really beneficial. I mean, more and more people have come down and love the, love the you know, the, just the type of the climate we're in, the political climate, the, the tax incentive climate, and just the the, the value in, in, in living, livability of these markets. Well, it's for Pete's sake, the grits, the grits, man. The grits. Well, he didn't the mention grits. the food or yeah. 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 The grits. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the food, the, the food, the food is, you're missing out unless you get down here. I, I, yeah. I'm definitely missing out. Let me yeah. ask you one question. The, uh, the types of customers that you're going after at DC Blocks, and this is the last like, kind of commercial question that I'll ask. Do they tend to be the, the companies that service those individual individuals that are moving to those areas? You know, the Netflixes of the world, like the edge market type deployments of the world. They're going to support those as opposed to, you know, the local, you know, small businesses that might need, you know, a small amount of data center infrastructure. Yeah, well, another another wonderful question of of where we focus and it is DC blocks. We really focus in serving locally in those markets. So proximity matters when you're in those markets. There is a large number of headquartered enterprises, city, county, state government, a lot of university systems and people we deal with. A lot of hospital systems, a lot of banks, everybody who is operating and 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 executing within those markets, you know, they they call that home, and they don't want to leave and go to a major city like Atlanta, if you're in the case of Birmingham, or they don't want to leave and go to a major city like Charlotte, if you're into uh, Greenville. It's really all about keeping local because that's where they've chosen to live and chosen to invest. So it first starts with all those enterprises that are within those local markets. It then moves into city, county, state entities is, you know, they call that home and they want to keep things in their state. Uh, and then it starts rolling into the content providers, the carriers, the cloud providers as they continue to extend their reach out on their networks. So it used to, it's a little bit more the above. It used to be football cities. Now it's college football cities. And there's nothing that could beat college football. So Jeff, I think you had, I, you had me at hello. I think I'm uh, ready to reconsider leaving Hawaii. And move into this doubt. <laughs> let's let's get to know you a little bit more. What led you to your profession? Was that something that you were passionate about early on in your career, or like us, you just stumbled in? Well, I had a friend of mine that a long time ago, in a far, far away place, you had said to me, he said, "Hey, this communications business, this is something that is really something that is changing how we do business," and. You ought to take into consideration of looking at it. So I looked at it and said, hey, I think I can make some money doing this thing. And, you know, lo and behold, I've been in it 30 years now. And, you know, you take that period of time and, you know, you see a lot of different things, you know, so as long as, you know, I didn't get into it to say, oh my God, I'm going to be a data center guy. I got into it, say, I'm going to be in the communications industry. And I love the way that it has impact to business and people and everything we're doing. I had no idea it was going to morph into the way that, but as long as you remained and I remained pretty flexible spending kind of almost in every cycle or every circle of the business from you start in fiber, you move into your communications, from communications, you move into hosted applications, hosted applications move into data centers that then move into networks. So I've seen it kind of full circle. It's been, it's been a fun career so far. So from marketing and a finance major and doing about 20 years, looks like from your um, LinkedIn profile in VoIP and telephony, what was the transition to designing, building, managing data centers? 
Well, I'll say that everything in communications, the communications infrastructure that is out there is all hosted. You know, I, I've, I've referred to people saying, well, it's, it's, you know, unified communications, it's cloud communications. That was the real breakthrough of, you know, what is the real oh, widely accepted hosted application that was out there. It really started early on in, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, people started getting into the hosted voice and hosted application service market. What did they need? They needed a data center. So I had been living in and operating in putting equipment within data centers all along. And so when you start really looking at the cloud and the birth of the cloud, really starting in 2008, roughly 2007, 2008, we started, started seeing more and more people saying, hey, here's cloud computing infrastructures, which is nothing more than, you know, an application service provider putting it in a more wholesale data center. You know, I've been in that space and in the data center space a long time, either as a consumer of it, but then now build the cloud has four walls and it's called a data center. So you can't go very far to escape it. I've always kind of been in it, but taking that next step a little deeper into it with DC blocks was all about seeing a need of these underserved markets. That was in the sky and infinitely. So, so taking it back uh, a little bit, did you always like technology when you, when you grew up? Was it, is technology something you, you, you had any interest in or did you have a different path in mind? I, I really didn't drive or run to technology. You know, I think, I think today it's, it's, you know, I love what I do. I think the only part that I don't like what I do is when my mother calls me and says, can you help me fix my iPhone or help me fix this? You're the technology guy. So we've, taught, we've talked about that many times on this podcast. No matter how high you career, you're always like the tech support for your, for your family. In your bubble, yeah. you're the computer guy. It doesn't matter. You could be the CEO of, of Apple. doesn't matter. You're the, you're the computer guy. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't initially run to it from a technology, but I've always embraced it and looked at it. I was fascinated by it. And, you know, you get fascinated by it in a lot of different ways. You know, through some of your mistakes that you make along the way and some of the interesting stories for what it does to, you know, some of the successes. And as long as you keep learning every day, it's, it's really exciting. It's, it's never always the same. Um, there's always going to be change within technology as everything runs through cycles and it's, it's fun to be a part of it. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, but I didn't get into it purposely that said, Hey, I want to go be a coder. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. It just, just, you know, just keep learning. What were your goals as a kid growing up? I mean, like everybody talks about being a doctor, a surgeon, a, a attorney, a real estate broker, whatever the case might be. Firefighter. Firefighter, a cowboy. Yeah. Especially in the South. So what was, what was your yes. goal as a kid? So, so I've got a family that comes uh, a lot from sports backgrounds, you know, really heavy in uh, the, you know, the Olympic games, really heavy in, you know, basketball. You know. So I wanted to be a professional athlete, but realized that number one, I, I couldn't run that fast. And number two, I couldn't jump that high. So number three, I wasn't as big. I was tall, but I really wasn't, you know, built out. So I realized pretty quickly my, my, my days as being a potential professional athlete, we're going to be limited. So, you know, after that, it was just more of, hey, what, what are things that you can really do to make a difference, make a difference in your career, make a difference in your life. So make a difference in others. Was there one particular sport that you were interested in? It was both football and basketball. I kind of, I kind of say, here's, here's one of the things that, it, you know, makes you real jealous. So I had an opportunity to go play college football and I didn't, and I chose to go play college basketball. And instead of doing that, if I would have taken the road to go play college basketball, I would have been wearing one of those nice big cheap, you know, you know, championship uh, rings that are out there for the NCAA championship. But now I could say, 
that I've got a ring in the family is my daughter is working on the creative media team for Georgia football. And so she was able to, to win the championship this year. We're in Indianapolis. It's really cool to see her now being part of the team and being able to get a national championship ring. Sounds like a lifetime of things that'll build credibility in those meetings you have in, in the South. So then you couldn't possibly be in a better place for, you know, your lived experience. Yeah. No kidding. I'll just bring my daughter with me to each way. Each way. <laughs> I would, I would also, because she's fine, right? So my daughter will just get anybody to sign anything just to, to turn around. Well, that covers the 50 minutes, 10 minutes now for business. <laughs> so in the current state of affairs, what are some of the biggest challenges and what are some of your strategic focuses? You know, for us, it's really expanding the business. You know, the data center business is experiencing massive growth at this point. You know, it's, it's us finding and continually expanding the reach of what we're doing. And we do that through really a strategic purpose. That strategic purpose is serving locally and connecting globally on behalf of our customers. And that means that if we find markets and find opportunities with customers and find opportunities in markets where we can make a difference, make a difference with our calendars and the way that we work and give back in the communities. If there's ways that we can do that with connecting globally for our customers that make a difference in how they are uh, you know, really operating, then that's what we're going to continue to do. We've got five data centers on the ground today. I never put a limit on the number of data centers for what we, what we look at, or I'll call them more markets. I think we can get to a dozen or four and continually expand and make a difference in the communities we serve in addition to making a difference and creating a purpose that is for our employees to really engage in. And, you know, for us, that's really important. I mean, starting with purpose of how you interact uh, with the markets you use, as well as or the markets you go into, as well as your employees and how they can make a difference is a really good one-two combination that's far bigger than just saying, hey, you work for a data center company. Would everything be in the Southeast or would you consider expanding beyond just that, that, that region? Well, you never say never, you know, but, but, but certainly I think it comes down to focus and, you know, focus is something that a lot of companies uh, tend to stray. You stray early when you're building a company is like, oh my gosh, you need to get revenue from anything. Oh, well, just let's go do this. So let's go get revenue. But then it also says when you get bigger, you know, and your customers are saying, Hey, I really want to bring you here or there. I, I think, and I learned a long time ago, if you listen to your customers and do what they, what they tell you to do and you do so with the same quality, you'll end up expanding outside of what really you've started. It just comes down to what is the right time to do that? We haven't had the right time or the right things to expand outside the Southeast. So I think we will at some point. We haven't yet because we are remaining focused. Well, you have to have an entire R&D department based on finding, you know, all information about those college football teams and those cuisines and all of the local cultures so that you can spend the majority of those meetings talking about, you know, whatever, whatever they want to talk about locally. Yeah. The first, you know, the first 50 minutes about football and weather and where, where'd you go to eat? What's the best restaurant? I, I spent all this time at, you know, this, uh, this restaurant in North Dakota, I thought, I thought I should share the, during, during the, so you've been doing a lot of obviously construction and, and staffing of, of these facilities, particularly during the pandemic. What are some of the challenges that you've seen in terms of, you know, construction is that have, have you seen you know, any acute impact associated with, you know, some of the, you know, timeline and supply chain issues and, and finding, you know, talent in those localized markets that might not have, you know, a significant amount of, you know, telecom or digital infrastructure talent to choose from. Yeah. Great, great, great discussion on this part. Yeah. The, the supply chain issues, no one is void of being affected by these. 
we've seen an increase in material that ranged between, call it 7 to 10% to as high as 30 to 40%. And depending upon what core critical units, I mean, the core critical units of the data center are really, you know, what are your building materials? You know, what are your generator costs and, and what takes place there? What do you do with your uninterrupted power supply, your transformers? You know, just the core critical things that make a tier three rated data center work. So, so we're not void around the, like no one else is void of, of those cost increases. Just order all that stuff on Amazon and choose Prime Delivery. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can do that for the guys who are doing cryptocurrency money. They don't, they, they don't have as much uh, pressure on them for, for quality of. So with the FCC recently announcing roughly about $1.2 billion in the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund to improve the, the broadband connectivity especially in areas that you're currently in, how is that going to impact you? Well, I think it's, it, 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 it certainly is going to be, whether you're a middle mile builder on, on the investment where you're trying to get more rural broadband out and, and, and enable co-ops and other things, which we do day in and day out, as many of our customers are rural cooperatives and other things that find that they want to interconnect to the network we built or interconnect to our data centers. More and more money is going to be pushing to extend that broadband to areas which it hasn't before or or more importantly, increase the size of the pipes that give access to more applications, whether it's going to be 5G to towers or whether it's going to be digital infrastructure to data centers and then getting out through more EPON networks and other things through hubs. So, you know, regardless, I think that the more broadband is going to drive higher and higher applications, you know, getting into that metaverse, you know, environment of, you know, what is really web 3.0 that's going to drive the type of interactive type of communications. And those applications are going to have to live closer to where they're being consumed, which then in turn drives more things with data centers. So, you know, more broadband, higher speed, larger applications, more density, more gaming, more things that come into uh, data centers that need to, need to have closer proximity. So we will have the internet bubbles. I don't know about that, but we'll... Uh, guess we're all living in the internet bubble. Aren't we already in the bubble? <laughs> it's only, it's roughly about 40% of the America is. Yeah, the markets that Jeff is serving, they aren't free, fully in the internet bubble yet. That's, that's true. They'll, they'll, they'll get there. The, back to, back to the, just the talent question. Have you, find, have you found, because you're in some of these rural markets, that you've been able to, you know, kind of you know, retrain existing, maybe displaced workforces to, to, to apply them to this? Is something you found in terms of, you know, who works within a data center environment that you might not have predicted would be working in a data center environment, particularly in some of these rural markets? Yeah, we haven't really had a you know, challenge with finding talent. You know, when you build a great culture and you build a great company, you always have people who want to be a part of it. And then if you're investing into your people and training, you know, in ways that are industry standards and ways that they can use that within their careers, it, it's not really a big challenge for us to find. You know, what we have found is, is that uh, scarcity of some of the resources in the construction of data centers tends to increase some of the cost as it just takes a little bit more time. I mean, we've built uh, from the ground up, we've built four data centers now. We've got number five and six that from the build side of, of us putting them up. We've got a remarkable track record that we've been able to do by picking the right type of contractors and by serving locally, once again, like what I said before, when you're serving locally and using local contractors, it really means something. You just have to have the right the right cadence and the right mechanism to ensure that those projects stay on time. And we've, I'd say, we just finished our Greenville facility that we start first shovel of dirt turn roughly around April 4th of 2021. We completed the facility 
in a pandemic with supply chain issues at the end of October and by the end of November, we were ready for customers. So when you're doing that in a 27, 28 week time period in a pandemic and managing it, not to mention that we did so in a way that we were only about $100,000 over. I think we've got a really good system approach of how we do this. And finding the right people is really what matters. I mean, we can build any damn building we want in the world, but you know, if you don't have the right people that have care and understanding the know-how, you're not going to get the end result. So far, we've uh, we've got that end result, which is working. Do you find that they have, there's, and we've talked about in previous podcasts about the idea that a lot of the underlying infrastructure that goes into a data center build is the same, you know, from standard construction. Yes, there are certain elements of it, but have you found particularly in these markets that there are, there's any learning curve with some of the local construction resources that you're utilizing, some of the local contractors that you're utilizing to apply their knowledge to a data center and a tier three data center at that? Well, a little. I mean, we we, we found one of the ways we use this is we we picked contractors that, number one, were skilled in critical infrastructure. And those contractors actually have offices in all the markets for which we're building. So, I mean, you can have some consistency in using some of the same GCs, use some of the different subs that are along the way that, you know, you're trusting your GC and you're trusting that we can, you know, pick the right ones. But, you know, the vendors that are, you know, we, I kind of looked at, we assemble data centers, we don't build them, you know, because we're using, we're using parts that, you know, every single one looks the same. You know, it's one of the things we're at consistency of operation can, Consistency of design, consistency of assembly, consistency of operation and how you're doing it. It makes it where, you know, down here in the South, we have a lot of Chick-fil-A's. You know, we're kind of stamping out the same Chick-fil-A over and over and over again. And you're going to get the same result in quality and, uh, and assurances. We're getting a bunch of Chick-fil-A's up here now also. Yeah, I still got to try it. Tastes like, tastes like chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Jeff, I want to get to know you a little bit more. You majored in marketing. Then you were in sales and marketing for a significant amount of your career. And it sounds like that you were actually in finance as well and to being now the CEO of DC Blocks. Can you share that journey at a very high level with? Well, number one, don't be afraid to make mistakes and get your hands dirty. You know, I learned, I learned at an early age that nothing good comes without real hard work and dedication into it. So. Whether you're in a sales portion, whether you're in a marketing portion, whether you're in an operations portion, continue to keep learning, continue to keep listening. And it all comes down to people. I mean, you can be in any business in the world, but if you understand people, you have the ability to navigate upwards up the chain uh, as long as you're leaning in and, and ensuring that, you know, you, you understand both sides of the story. You got to look at it through the eyes of the employee and the eyes of, of what's best for the company. And somewhere uh, in the middle really results, how do you get the best you know, overall work product and get things done. So, yeah, I've, I've looked at it. I wanted to master every single area around doing things from the sales side to then how do you find customers to the product side to how do you operate? And really at that shift of the operating side and the finance side is, you know, you go from, hey, this is really cool and I'm solving problems for customers to, hey, this is really cool. And this is how you make money. You know, before, when you're in the sales side or in the marketing side or in some of the product side, you're looking at it saying, hey, I'm, I'm focused on trying to make a difference and how do I sell more of my product? But many guys don't understand how you make money at doing that in the full circle. So once you start making that bridge, I made that bridge to more in finance, really tried to understand more about it, understand more from the operating side. You know, then you understand the capital side. And once you understand the capital side, now it's like, okay, now you can entities that create financial leverage 
by delivering great products and services and only doing a few things because you realize that if you start taking on more to do something else, then what else are you not doing? Otherwise, it could be really expensive for you through lack of execution or lack of, you know, just focus. So, so in your personal and professional life for 30 years, what would you classify as one or two strengths that you have developed? So I, I relate a lot of things back through sports. And, and and I will I will take it back from one of my all-time coaches, all-time favorite coaches, John Wood. So the old coach of UCLA lived to be, a, you know, read about 100 years old. I got one of his books on my bookshelf back behind me that he signed. And he says, he says, don't rush, but be quick, which really means be patient for some of the results for what you're doing. Trust in the people that you have around you in looking at it, but be quick to take action within the things because the door won't always, you know, be open all the time. And it may not knock twice. Someone may not knock twice if an opportunity comes up. So, you know, don't rush, but be quick and and continually lean into the people and the relationships and you can build great teamwork. And it doesn't matter what damn business you're in. You can you can achieve it in almost anything. I think there's a there's a there's a little hint of like believe in yourself, right? Don't hesitate um, and just trust your own, you know, trust trust your own instincts. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's something that that I wrote down. I've got it. If you can, you know, if you go to my Twitter feed, you'll see it as uh, you know the description there. And and you know, it's really around a personal statement. And uh, you know, when you when when you lead with character, and and you're humble about your you know what you know, and you know you want to lean in and lean and, and learn as much as you can, and learning continue. It, it it really sets a grounded approach of. You, know, you don't know everything. You'll never know everything. There's always going to be somebody smarter than you in the room. There's always going to be somebody who has, you know, a better mousetrap of this or that. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to people. It comes down to, you know, being humble, believing in yourself, learning continuously, and, and continually just, you know, working on yourself. Very well said. How do you classify yourself today? I mean, marketing finance and not being in the executive role. Do you classify yourself as a finance guy? Do you classify yourself as a technologist, a futurist? Where do you see yourself? Where, where do you think your core strength or play is? Ability to serve customers. You know, for us, it's all around, you know, what gets me out of it, you know, out of the day, day in and day out. I am a customer focused guy and it's about solving their problems in more unique ways. And it, it depends if, you know, it's marketing it is for us, it's all about achieving that strategic purpose serving locally and connecting globally. So we can, can we solve customers from it or you know, solve problems with it? You know, it depends on what the way you're trying to solve. You're trying to solve a, you know, a throughput issue, an marketing issue, you're trying to sell a sales issue. You know, I, I'm just a guy who learned a lot along the way and learned more from my mistakes than I did from the successes for what I have had. And if you can continue to tell people what those journeys are and, and, you know, didn't stay grounded along the way, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, if I give you one of my business cards right now, you'll see it doesn't have a title on it. We don't put titles on our business cards here because they really don't mean anything except for, okay, I want to tell you what I do. I'd rather tell you why I do it rather than what I do because why is making a difference. What is saying, hey, I'm, you know, puffing up my chest and let me tell you how important I am. I'm no more important than, you know, the guy down the hall. For me, it's just about how do you solve problems for customers? I start with Started the podcast by saying this, and I'm going to say it one more time. I vote for Jeff, right? And there's just, oh, no one but for him. <laughs> yeah, I think, Jeff, you've got my word as well. <laughs> and I'm seriously reconsidering moving to the South. Oh, uh, <laughs> I forgot, I mean, come on. If you know, Philip and I will have some, we'll show you some, some uh, shrimp and grits down here that, uh, that'll change your world. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And some, some fixings. So how do you classify yourself? I mean, are you an early adopter? Do you like to be on the cutting edge uh, or are you just following the market needs? Just judging well, by, it, by, by the camera, he's using, I'm going to go with early adopter, but <laughs> so I've, I've learned through trial and error and different things that the cutting edge can also be the bleeding edge. And when, when you're on the bleeding, you know, that can be, that can be costly financially. It can also be very rewarding in doing things. I would say that, you know, for, for, for us as a company, we are a really fast follower into the terms of the technology and we're market makers in what we do. So when we think of data centers, we're not new. When we launched this company really in 2016 is when I joined it as a board member and then took over as CEO in 2017, data centers weren't new. Quality data centers in underserved markets were something that was new. So it was subtle, but yet it's positioned in the right way, really around anchoring into that market and purpose. It's it's following where the market is going, yet yet extending out into a market as an early adopter rather than, you know, trying to do something. We're not trying to run our, you know, run our facilities on saying, hey, we're going to be the next all solar, you know, power data center that can deliver, you know, gigawatts of power into the markets of what we're doing. You know, that would be bleeding edge. We're not doing that, right? What we're doing is we're taking standardized equipment, doing it in unique engineered ways that allow us to get the efficiencies of what we want, both economically, financially, as well as performance. And we're putting them with a repeatable process into it. So, you know, I'd say uh, fast follower into markets with early adoption into those markets. Now, many kind of, kind of, kind of tried and true deployment. There's a, there's a bunch. Yeah. Exactly. That may be that may be our new that may be our new title. I mean, you may see that on our website this afternoon. So we, we nickel a nickel every click. Danielle, you heard that? A nickel every click. <laughs> so, yeah, no nuclear uh, nuclear energy plants right next to your data center yet. So, with very many science fiction movies present a dark vision of the future, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of humanity? Wow, that's deep. So there, there are certain things that I, I'd say trouble me a little bit more. Um, there's nothing like, you know, I've got two kids. One's uh, one turned 17 today. The other one's uh, 20. And, and, and the, when, when you look at them and I walk into my daughter's room and she, I said, what are you doing? She goes, I, I'm talking, I, I, I'm talking to X person. I'm talking to this person. I go, you're not talking to them. She goes, yes, I am. And she's texting them. And so texting is talking. So what, what, what takes place? In the next generation where, you know, people are walking around with virtual reality headsets and trying to get into worlds where they haven't been before. At the end of the day, there's nothing that is ever going to be a real in-depth conversation back and forth with people and understanding human dynamics, not artificial worlds, but the dynamics of people and the dynamics of, you know, understanding each other. And, you know, so if I'm worried about humanity in some ways, I think we're driving technology so much that it's really around programming, pro, you know, program response around what we are doing to try to live artificially through things. And I think the more the more we simplify our life by using technology rather than augmenting our life through technology is, is the only thing that concerns. You need a healthy dose of, of both, but I would lean in more towards conversation and understanding relationships in, in terms of humanity and understanding that everybody comes with a different point of view, not a virtual reality view is the only way. Which is ironic. There are certain, there, there are certain ways to think about it in terms of, yeah, that's, that might be a cross purposes with what will, the faster data center growth and adoption, but also, you know, 
Yes, the the, the ruining of, of civilization. Yeah, you need a balance, man. You need a balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, balance is critical. This has been amazing. Getting your perspective on things and where you're at and things that you're doing. What would you tell the younger generation that has no clue what a data center is or how things work on the back end from a technical perspective and where this industry is headed? I mean, we are the largest, smallest industry is the way I say, talk about it. What do you think or what would your advice be to the younger generation to come and bridge this digital divide and the generational gap that it's getting deeper and wider in our space? Well, get involved. Get involved early. Get involved in whatever role that you possibly can. And if you're willing to learn and willing to listen and willing to, you know, to really embrace of how customers are trying to solve problems, you'll have a really long, beneficial and financially rewarding career in this business. You walk around these conferences and you walk around and see the people in the industry. They're a bunch of old guys like me, you know, and it is. I mean, there's, there's going to be a, a real gap in leaders that need to come up from a lot of different areas. So get involved with some companies where where really the, the leadership teams there are really embracing the development uh, of their people. And, and, and with that, man, it'll open up for you anywhere where you want to, where, where you want to have a career. We're going to need to have a hell of a lot more data centers. They won't be all the same size, but certainly the industry where the network meets the application uh, is going to require a facility of whatever type, a hut, a, uh, you know, a, a small data center at the base of a town or a data center in a regional market or going back to a hyperscale data center. There's a lot of room for growth and, you know, get in early and just get with the right team that is really putting customers first and you'll figure it out. One of the things you've articulated, of course, is that there's just such a wide breadth of experience you can have or exposure you can have within the data center. You don't have to be the guy that builds the data center or the guy that puts in the computer. I mean, there's construction, there's finance, there's marketing, there's sales. There's all these different rules from super technical to not technical at all, where, you know, you can, you can embrace it and, and ride the wave. Yeah. Just get involved, get involved. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I learned as a young kid, it's like, look, if you're, if, if your first job, which mine was, is being a apprentice electrician, you know, the, the electrician guy says, Hey Jeff, you know, we're, we're, we're going to bring power to the, you know, to this new complex, what we have. And I'm like, Okay, well, how do we do that? And he goes, well, it's going to start. Here's a shovel. Here's a pick. Start digging a trench where you're going to bring in the power that's coming off the feed over here. And, you know, we have to get power to the facility. So if you're doing that, dig the best damn trench that you possibly can. I thought I was an electrician. I didn't know I was going to be. <laughs> we're, all, we're all dish diggers at the end. All right. This has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great to get to know you. Yeah, you bet. Thank you very much. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.